thousands upon thousands upon thousands of American men and women over the centuries have shared their life's blood for the freedom that we have and that we enjoy in this country today. Freedom is a precious thing, and it can be lost very quickly. And I pray for our president and for those that are in leadership that God would guide and direct this nation. And my prayer is that this nation will repent of its sins and turn once again to the God of our fathers and worship him. And we have that freedom today in Christ because of what he did for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. Welcome to another episode of On the Ground with Samaritan's Purse. I'm your host, Christy Graham. And today we wanna honor the fallen and bring you an important Memorial Day message. Franklin Graham shared about the sacrifice that was made for the freedom that we enjoy as Americans. And we all know freedom isn't free. It has a high cost and it has been paid with blood, sweat, and tears from our men and women serving in uniform. America truly is the land of the free because of the brave. And Jesus teaches in Luke 12, 48, when someone has been given much, much is required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. And some versions say demanded. And I think as Americans, much is demanded of us. Memorial Day is a federal holiday to remember and honor the men and women who died while serving in the United States Armed Forces. The selfless service and sacrifice our military members choose to offer become their family's forever sacrifice. The family members of our fallen carry that weight and loss every single day. And today I wanna introduce you to a dear friend who understands the gravity of sacrifice. My friend Lisa lost her husband, John, in Afghanistan, and she shares how she found hope and healing, but also teaches us how important it is to learn their stories, speak their names, and honor their legacy. First, my husband Edward and I talk about the impact that she made on us and our community. So I'm so thankful that Lisa was willing to share her testimony with us. And I think it's important, you know, and she taught us all how to remember the fallen and to honor their families. Um, And you knew Lisa well. You worked with John. You were in the same brigade and served in that year-long deployment. I knew John and Lisa Howlett because I served with John in Fifth Strike Brigade at Fort Lewis, Washington. And uh, I I knew them just because we were in the same brigade. That's fairly large. Um, he's a year ahead of me at West Point. I knew him from the academy. But I can remember uh, fondly them about two days before we deployed for a year-long deployment in Afghanistan. I can remember their family playing together at a 4th of July parade. And I remember watching over because uh, they had a fairly young child at the time and just watching John interact with them and the joy they had. But during the deployment, John and I were different locations of southern Afghanistan. We were separated by an entire province. He was in in Kandahar, and I was in Zabul province. Um, but I remember the incident, because we have one tax sat, that's a radio that we can hear uh, that all listen on, and I can remember when John's call sign came up, um, and I knew he'd been killed. And uh, instantly, I went back to that 4th that fourth of July parade, and I'm thinking of those memories of that family, that happy family, and now the news that Lisa was about to receive, and I, me- I immediately started praying for her and uh, that she was about to receive the worst news ever and possible. So, um, but since then, I knew Lisa just because how strong she was. Um, she started running, Christy started running with her, and I knew that. I'd heard these stories and reports on her, and Christy was bragging on her just how strong and uh, how, how resilient she had been after receiving that news. So, Lisa, 
you are a dear friend. Um, my friend Lisa wears many hats. She is a working mom, mom of three, um, now a teaching mom, you know, regulating everything during COVID. And, um, but you've just been heavy in my heart and I would love for you to share your story with the audience. And so would you just tell us about your family and, and tell me how you met John? My husband, John, and I knew each other our entire lives. So we grew up in California together. We went to Catholic school together. I'm an older man. He was in second grade when I was in kindergarten. So years of experience ahead of me, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at a small Catholic school, we just knew each other. And you, all the groups intersect in some way. And when we went to high school, we went with a more ministries to Tijuana over our spring break each year, and we built homes for those in need. And the first year, John and I were in the same group, and on the first day of building, we built all seven frames to a house together. I'm pretty sure they had to redo them the next day. But we finished building the frames to that house, and I I told my friends in my tent that night, I said, I am going to marry John Hallett and have his redheaded babies. <laughs> And then um, John went to West Point, and I dated all of his friends. And then we did, we did not we did not fall immediately in love, but we stayed friends um, over the years. And his senior year of West Point, he came down to Santa Barbara for his cousin's wedding, and there was a trip coming up. And he said, "Hey, are you going to come with us?" And I said, oh, gosh, it depends if I have gas money. And then he left. And later that day, I opened my refrigerator, and there were two $20 bills in that fridge that said gas money on them. Mm -hmm. I said, I guess I'm going to go. And the rest was history. So John and I started dating. I went to his his graduation from West Point. And really, we found a pattern um, that was woven into the story of his military career. Mm -hmm. So John graduated from West Point in 2001. Uh, he was stationed in Hawaii after about a year of different schools that he went to. And then on, on December 27th, 2003, John and I were married. Mm-hmm. And then three weeks later, he deployed to Iraq. And he was part of OIF too. So he's right there at the beginning and there for the first elections. And it was our first, it was our first deployment as a military family. And I think I was, highly ignorant of, of real military life. And in a lot of ways, all of us were. 2000, mm-hmm. Before 2001, we were a peacetime army in many senses of the word. And there are always inherent dangers in military service, but we weren't seeing those constant back-to-back deployments that we see now. Mm-hmm. And so John went to war and it was very romantic in the classical sense. And I, I missed him, but I was working earnestly on my graduate degree. I was teaching, I was working, I had friends and we were able to talk and I was never quite so fearsome for his life. It was just, we were doing our jobs that we both trained to do. Mm-hmm. And so John, three weeks after we were married, John was deployed for 14 months and so began our military career as a married couple. Newlyweds with a deployment, a long one. And <laughs> right, so- that was- yeah, and like you said, so Edward graduated in 2003, and so he was still at West Point thinking he would miss this war. And, um, you know, little did he know, like you said, you didn't know what the future looked like. Um, but that is not a normal situation to have your newlywed years be deployed. 
So yeah, talk to me about what you knew about the military prior and what you thought about this. Did you think this you could do this forever or was it so foreign you just were learning each day? Yeah, that's interesting. John and I grew up in California together, just outside of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And the military was incredibly foreign to me. I had no concept of military service. And um, so I remember when John came home from that first deployment, we were stationed in Hawaii and we sat on the beach in North Shore and we made a list. Stay in the military, get out of the military. And our stay in the military list was significantly longer than our get out of the military Mm -hmm. list. John loved the challenge of military life. Mm -hmm. And I was growing to love it too. I, I was learning it every day. There were coffee groups, there was mm-hmm. friends, we were traveling, I was meeting people from around the world. And I loved that microcosm of national experience that you were having in these isolated communities. So even though we were in Hawaii, I was exposed to experiences from across the country in our military family. And I loved that. And I also loved coming into the Hawaiian culture and learning um, a a new community and getting exposed to that. So we loved that aspect of military life. It was so rich with experiences and exposures, no matter where we were living. And then the idea of travel was very exciting to us. But I think most importantly, John loved serving. He loved Mm -hmm. his country, um, but he loved the soldiers whom he served alongside. And it was incredibly valuable for him to be able to challenge himself every day, physically, mentally, emotionally. And we knew that the military was the right path for us. So we said, we're in, we're going to stay in through company command and we'll just mm-hmm. keep taking it. You know, one assignment to the next about the way forward for military career. And so we left Hawaii and then we went to Fort Benning, Georgia. We went to Fort Polk, Louisiana. We you know, had a baby on the way at each duty station. Mm-hmm. And then in 2007, when Bryce was four weeks old, our middle child, we landed at then Fort Lewis, Washington. And that is where I met Lisa, Um, Fort Lewis, Washington. Um, So yeah, so you have two babies, you've gone through deployments, many moves, and now you're faced with another year-long deployment. Can you talk to me about that? Yes, we had been grazed with a period of, of not deploying. And at this point in 2007, we our friends have seen multiple deployments and the op tempo, the operational tempo of our military was high. It was go, come home, go, come home, go, come home. And John was in a training position. He was an observer controller during our time at Fort Polk. He was in a school at Fort Benning. So we had been graced with family time. And so... Professionally, John was ready for deployment. He was ready to, to do what he had trained to do. And I think there's this sense of not obligation, but calling. And I would say a very robust calling for our servicemen and women. Um, when they volunteer to serve, they want that service to be in action, right? Not the scarce time. They want to get, um, they want to join their, their fellow service members in the mission. And so John very much felt that. So he was ready to go, but it wasn't my first deployment anymore. Um, it was not quite, not quite as romantic as that first one. And I knew the days were long, the nights were lonely and, um, the risks were real. 
And so John's unit had trained, you know, obviously John and Edward worked together and their unit had trained to go to Iraq again. And then in 2009, we saw the surge to Southern, well, the surge to Afghanistan. So John's unit switched to Afghanistan. And in July of 2009, just three weeks before our youngest child was to be born, John deployed to Kandahar. And I was sad and I was scared and I was worried about how I was going to be a single parent to three young children for a year. Mm -hmm. And so John left and then three weeks after John left, our daughter Heidi was born. And I remember John and I talked earnestly about him leaving, not being there when the baby was born. And I was like, I've got that. And and then I headed into Madigan to have the baby. And I remember telling the nurse, I said, I changed my mind. I want my husband here. And obviously that was, that was not a choice, but I had dear friends and Amanda came to the hospital with me and Beth and Diane were watching my kids for me and you know, everybody just stepped up and, and makes it happen. And so, you know, I had Heidi and then I came home and I remember talking on the phone to John. He says, I've never heard the baby cry. And I said, don't you worry. You've got a lifetime for that. Mm-hmm. And you know, the first few days, I remember trying, were just nutty. I had two kids in diapers, newborn baby. My husband's deployed. And I remember, I remember crying one night, trying to do bath time. I thought, there's no way that I can do this for a year. Mm-hmm. And then I had this very calming moment where I realized it's not a year. I mean, it's not forever. It's a year and just pull it together. You've got this. Mm -hmm. And for our family though, it, it wasn't going to be just a year. So three weeks after Heidi was born, I learned the news that no military spouse wants to hear. So I was headed to a military family training meeting three weeks after Heidi's born and um, the boys my friend Michelle, a fellow military spouse, for sharing childcare, and I am quite quite tickled with myself. I am getting involved in my husband's unit, which had always been very important to John. I'm out of the house after having a baby, mm-hmm. and I'm not wearing maternity clothes. So I am pretty much a rock star yeah. among rock stars. And I remember walking into the training, and I spread out my papers, and I have Heidi with me in her little bucket seat, and the rear detachment commander comes into this classroom and he taps me on the shoulder and it was it was Frankie and Frankie was one of John's soldiers and I remember Frankie said oh Miss Hallett you need to come with me and I was pretty flipped and I was like what's going on mm-hmm. like no you need to bring your papers and so I remember I scoop up my papers and I pick up Heidi in her little bucket seat and and Frankie who's, who's a friend he's a soldier he's eating at my house he's his face is impassive. Mm-hmm. And I remember we walked across this big grass parade field. And I kept asking Frankie, almost, almost demanding, tell me John's okay. Tell me John's okay. Mm-hmm. And he says nothing. And he takes, me to, he takes me to the battalion classroom. And there are two gentlemen waiting for me. And they're wearing their class A's. It's the green business suit of the army at the time. And the gentleman on the right is holding a white piece of paper. And I quickly realize it's a script and he reads it. The Secretary of Defense regrets to inform you 
her husband, Captain John L. Hallett, is believed to have perished in the fires. And I stopped listening. Mm -hmm. They said believed. And at home, I had a three-year-old, I had a one-year-old, and in my arms is this, this baby who my husband will never meet. I just know they have to be wrong. And I... I don't know why, but somehow I drive myself home and on the way that the military spouse network is notified and, and the people come together. And I remember sitting on the bottom step in front of our daddy wall. I was so worried my kids wouldn't know what their daddy looked like. They'd covered the door to the garage with pictures of John. Mm-hmm. And I just sat in front of that wall looking at those pictures and then... General Mathis called and he said, Lisa, I'm so sorry for the news about John. What can we do? And I said, they said, believed. And he said, I'm so sorry. And our lives were changed. John wasn't going to become home. And that lifetime that I had promised John was just never to be ours. I've heard that story so many times, and yet it always makes me cry. Um, and for those listening, um, we were a month into a year-long deployment. You know, this was very early. So can you talk to me about that, Lisa? Um, you were at the start. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, in a lot of ways, I always felt like having it at the start of the, the deployment allowed me to accept John's loss in in small in small bites and small mm-hmm. doses. It's incredibly surreal and abstract to have your your husband, your best friend, your confidant, the person who believes in you, your everything, die on a foreign soil halfway around the world. Mm-hmm. And so step one, I'm notified that John's been killed. But it's not until a week later that he, he even comes home. And so, you know, each day my life doesn't look any different. My husband's deployed. My husband's dead. I'm still a single parent raising these three babies on my own. Mm-hmm. And so we fall into this, this pattern of a week where we start each day, I start to understand what this loss means. I remember holding now a four-week-old baby in my arms and greeting John's casket and my boys wearing big kid clothes and the hands of their uncles walking up to John's casket. And then this is my first moment where I've confronted this reality. But John has died and he's not coming home. Mm-hmm. And then and then I remember following that casket and then they place it into the vehicle and I wish I can just lying in that hearse and, and, and lie next to my husband, I know. But still, there's this layer of abstractness because it's a flag-draped coffin. It's not John. I'm not seeing him. And so each day, it's this new layer of understanding. And I remember we're driving from Travis Air Force Base to the funeral home, and the streets are just lined with people, and you have the fire trucks with the flags waving, and I think... Oh, John, you know, what a send-off, what a send-off. He knew, and it's just, there was so much love from the community, and it was such a a quiet blessing to know everything feels scarier when you're 
you feel alone and to know all of a sudden there's this community who stands with me and remembers with me and, and celebrates the most deserving man of celebration and honor and remembrance. But the rest of that deployment continued in those, those doses. My day-to-day life was no different except I knew my husband wouldn't come home at the end of that deployment. And so I still engaged with the military spouse community. Uh, And in a way, it became even more in earnest as John's loss became just one of 41 losses throughout that year for our brigade. Mm -hmm. And as a community, we were really looking for a way to support one another. We all felt a bit lost and alone in that deployment. And there were so many friends and leaders and young soldiers who would not come home from that deployment. And so we began to run together. Mm -hmm. So we met in a Burger King parking lot and um, we decided to go for a run around the airfield. It was so casual. We kind of looked at each other the first time and then we ran. But each week we continued to gather and then we began to speak the names of our guys who had been killed in that deployment. It gave them voice and it gave us power and connection to their stories and to their lives. And we let our steps become driven by the men and women who wouldn't come home from that deployment. Mm-hmm. And I remember, so yeah, John was killed in August. I think what you started that in February, correct? That's correct. We That's met, correct. I remember I was there and it was it was a gift that you allowed, you know, you and several of the widows came. Um, you allowed us to walk through that year with you um, and allowed us into your pain and allowed us to say their names, you know? And uh, I think you taught that community the importance of a living memorial and carrying their legacy. Um, and that's why I wanted you on here because Memorial Day is a day to remember, but you, every day is Memorial Day. Like you said, you're, things reveal things. And, and even now, you know, as your kids get older and milestones and things that John should be here for, that pain never goes away, right? Yes, there's not a day that goes by that we don't remember John. And in the beginning, our connections to John were raw, hollow sense of loss. But I could still smell him. I could still feel him. I could know where he would lay in our bed. I could know what he would say to me. And the memories were fresh and close. And it was heartbreaking and comforting all at the same time. And 10 years later, those memories are not as fresh and they're not as raw. And so that sense of hollow that I thought would never go away has gone away. Mm-hmm. But John is present in new ways. He's in Jackson's grin. Mm-hmm. He's in Bryce's run stride and he's in Heidi's eyes. And so John is so present in our lives and so absent in our lives all at once. Mm-hmm. But Memorial Day is such a powerful day for us to remember, not even to remember, for us to see that we don't remember alone. I remember after John died, his, the community said, what can we do for you? What do we need? And I just kept thinking, these kids are going to grow up without their dad. They need stories of John. And so my ask was always, please tell me a story of John. Write it down so that my kids could have this. But it was actually this very difficult ask 
for our military and not because they didn't remember John, not that they didn't love John. The reality is there's another deployment around the corner and it's so palpable that it was, it was very difficult and it was very difficult for me to get these stories. And on Memorial Day, it's a chance for me to know that my family, my military family remembers. The military family remembers John, who was the best of the best, and they remember with us, and they remember our family. It's a chance for me to see a grateful nation. And I remember walking in the funeral procession uh, in the church and thinking, I think everybody in the world should be here. Everybody should remember John. And that's, that's not realistic. But on Memorial Day, I know that everybody does remember John and somebody somewhere is speaking his name. Somebody is learning his story. And in doing so, they're holding up my family and making sure that John's story can live. And that gives us strength. It gives us place. And the gift of gratitude is a powerful gift to be given. And so... So talk to me about where Blue Run to Remember. You mentioned that we you started it during the deployment, you know, during that time of grieving, but it is still going, thriving, growing, and you allow a community to run with purpose, to run to remember. And to, so talk to me about it now and today. Oh my gosh. No, thanks so much for asking about Wear Blue. I live and breathe Wear Blue. Mm-hmm. So we did, Wear Blue started in those first runs. And so there was a group of military spouses like you and Charlene Lewis and Erin O'Connor and Alice Pope. And we would meet and we would shepherd the community here on the home soil. And we'd run each week, we'd say the names. Mm -hmm. And when the unit came home from that deployment, we realized that they needed the same things that we needed. Words weren't big enough after that deployment. Mm Words weren't big enough to say, I'm sorry. They weren't big enough to say, thank you for serving. Thank you for your sacrifice. But we realized with the steps of run, we didn't have to have right words. We were able to literally and figuratively find common footing in the steps of a run. We became the living memorial. And now Wear Blue Run to Remember is a national community that has emerged from those first steps that honors the service and sacrifice of the American military. We have communities from Iwakuni, Japan, to here at Fort Lewis, Washington, to Anchorage, Alaska. We're all over the place. But every week, our, our military, their families, our families of the fallen, our veterans, and our civilians come together in a place of shared support for the 1% who still serve um, for our over 7,000 families who've made the ultimate sacrifice from global war and terror for generations of service and sacrifice. We create a place of support, life, and remembrance. And we train families of the fallen to run marathons in honor of their loved ones. We support junior enlisted service members as they're returning from their first combat experiences. And we train them to run an endurance event. We provide mentorship from senior military leadership. Uh, We mentor youth. So we take children who've lost a parent in military service, and we train them to run a 5K but more importantly, they are paired with a currently serving member of our armed forces to build resilience, a sense of identity, and healthy habits. And all these pieces about how do we maintain a healthy lifestyle to navigate the challenges of military service and sacrifice and the power of community. How do we come together in shared purpose? 
and that is Wear Blue. And so this Memorial Day, we are inviting the nation at large to remember with us. And so we invite our community, whether it's one mile or a hundred miles, to commit to move on Memorial Day, whether it's walking or running, but simply out your back door. And Wear Blue provides the name and story of a fallen hero to honor with your steps. And it is powerful at the end of the day to show our military, to show our families of the fallen, that we are a grateful nation. That the stories and the legacies of our fallen heroes live in the steps, in the hearts um, of our countrymen and women. And so we are excited this Memorial Day to really see the community come together into one shared action celebrating our service members who've made the ultimate sacrifice. Thank you for sharing that. And so we will put the the link in the show notes because I think it is important for people to see you can get involved wherever you are, you know, and now with yeah, COVID-19 and you might not be able to meet together, you can still pledge online, run purposeful miles in memory um, and to show your support and love to our family members. And, and like you said, you know, the statistics, the numbers of the those lost in the global war on terror, they're not a number, you know, they represent, and that's why I want you here, those 7,000 or, you know, they represent a family. And yeah, Lisa, you, I remember you said years ago, you said, I want to be better and not bitter. And that is, you have such a good perspective. And I think the Lord has used you. I mean, not that you would ever want what happened to you, but you allow God to use this hard to be better to be better for your kids, to be better for your community and to, and like you said, the military community, you know, because I I do worry as they come home um, and they miss their battle buddies and they are scarred from war, um, they need community, they need purpose. Um, And Samaritan's Purse has Operation Heal Our Patriots, you know, where we take wounded veterans to Alaska it's a marriage uh, retreat, but then they have ongoing aftercare because we've seen that once you're home, it's harder. You know, those retreats or mountaintop experiences are great, but life is hard and dealing with the trauma from war and the loss. And so I love how Wear Blue Run to Remember is a community for military, for civilians, and to children who have lost a parent. Um, so I love how you shared that because it is important. They need community. You know, we don't go to war alone. You go to war with a battle buddy. So as we wrap up, um, you know, our community, we always like to pray for those that we talk to. How can we specifically pray for our Gold Star families and those that have lost loved ones? There's always, there's a void in our lives. And as the kids get older, I see John's absence in new and heartbreaking ways. And my prayer for Gold Star families is continued strength, continued comfort, but I think also for a vibrant life and that we all deserve to move from a place of surviving to a place of thriving. Mm -hmm. And I think no one is more poised than our surviving families um, to live a full life, empowered life, if you will. And so I'd love that continued comfort, continued strength, um, but really that prayer for a dynamic and full life. They've overcome so much and they are poised to do so much. 
Well, thank you, Lisa, for introducing our listeners to you and to your family, but also the broader community and allowing us to pray more strategically and um, remember on this Memorial Day. Um, so we can go to Wear Blue, uh, run to remember.org, correct? That is correct. Wear Blue, run to remember.org. And there's a chance that you can learn more about the work that we're doing, um, but also to receive a hero match where Blue will provide the name and story of a fallen service member for you to honor on Memorial Day. And we would be grateful to have you as a part of this community, our living memorial. That is awesome. I'm glad you mentioned that because I, yeah, because some people don't know someone. And so they think, how, who can I honor? What can I do? You will allow them and introduce them um, and give you a name to pray for a family. Yeah. Yeah. And to run for and it. It's such a gift. It's a joy and a burden to remember. And there's some guilt, you know, on the days that are busy and you think, I didn't, I didn't think about Dawn today. But to know that somebody out there remembers with my family mm-hmm. is such a blessing. And that John can inspire and live in someone else's heart knows that he lives on. And it's not just the kids and I who will remember it, and we will always remember that someone is ready and willing and walking that walk with us. I truly appreciate Lisa for being willing to share her story and her pain. It is so brave and sacrificial to share a story that is so personal and devastating, but I think it allows us into her pain and it allows us to better pray for Gold Star family members. 7,029 men and women have been killed defending our freedom since 9-11. And that represents not statistics, not numbers, but it is son, daughter, brother, sister, mother, father, aunt, uncle, cousin, niece, nephew, friends. I mean, they represent thousands of people impacted and carrying these scars. My husband, Edward, is a veteran and he's lost many friends. And he's also had to give grieving parents the most terrible news that you never wanna hear. And I asked him to share his thoughts and close us with prayer. Memorial Day for me, you know, obviously means many things, but mostly it's memories. And uh, I, uh, I think of individuals like Jason Fingar, the first person that died under my command, the great memories I had of him. He was uh, an older kid. He was a private uh, specialist at that time, uh, but he was older because he'd served in the Salvation Army. And he loved to show Smallville. And uh, he was old enough, I think mature enough, that he felt comfortable teasing the company commander, which was me. And uh, we'd always tease about that show and we just had a great little connection, but he'd always pray for his platoon before they rolled out on a mission. And I remember one day I was sick, I'd been out a week and I'd come back in and Jason was rolling out and uh, I let my XO go out with him, my executive officer. And Jason prayed, he winked at me as he got in his striker. And about 10 minutes later, he was killed and his call sign came across and I I ran out, uh, drove out there quickly and I watched his body being um, flown away by the time I got there in the helicopter. But I sat in that crater and I immediately started praying for his mother and father. Um, you know, those are the type of memories, unfortunately, I have for Memorial Day is sitting in a crater like that or after one of my guys had been, you know, killed and praying for the family is about to receive that news, that life-changing news. And I have lost many classmates at West Point, friends. I think of Derek Hines, a hockey captain at West Point, my roommate at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. I think of uh, Joshua Gavlik, the guy that I wear on my memorial bracelet that I wear to this day on my my wrist. What an incredible warfighter that man was and uh, what an unbelievable member of our team. 
a beautiful wife and family and the pain that Alyssa Gavlik has gone through. You know, I think of Lisa Hallett now that we're close to her. I think of one of my rangers that we became close with um, and his wife, Colleen Katzberger. Those are the memories I have. It's all memories and it's great. It's smiles. It's, you know, the, the closeness of barbecues and having fun and building teams together and being a brother and a brotherhood. And then a horrible memory of that person being yanked away. Those are hard memories. But I try to choose to focus on the good. So what do I pray for on Memorial Day? I pray for surrender and I pray for peace and understanding that only God can provide. So I look in uh, Philippians and that's in uh, chapter four. But uh, when I think about for me, and that's helped me and helped me surrender because there's things bigger than me that I can't understand or I can't, you know, why the Jason Fingars, the great kids of this world, why would God choose to allow this to happen? But I think in Philippians chapter four, verse six, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And you know, it goes on later to what you focus your hearts on and, and what you should commit to. But that's what I, I realize. There's things that God can do that will transcend all understanding. And these things I don't understand. But for the families on this Memorial Day and these gold star wives that have lost so much, these children that have lost fathers, some they never knew, um, I pray that they surrender that pain they hurt that they're still struggling. So they give that to God. Um, I can't relate. I, you know, to lose a loved one and a brother hurts, but that, you know, it wasn't my spouse. You know, it's not the mother of my children that I lost. And I didn't, you know, these families didn't get to say goodbye. You know, the way that a lot of people sometimes can say goodbye to someone that's hurting or sick. Uh, they were ripped from them and they hadn't been with them for months. And now it's, you know, these, this death has gone on for years and I couldn't understand. I don't know what, how it's, what it's like. Um, but for me and in, in my, my struggles in combat, I learned to surrender and give those over to Jesus. So those are what I pray for the family members on this Memorial Day, that they would uh, surrender that pain if they haven't or that struggle and give that loved one over to the Lord and, uh, and trust in him and only the, for only the peace that God can provide. Would you mind um, closing our episode in prayer, praying for those family members um, and for our country? Lord, right now, I just come to you on this Memorial Day to give you thanks for the men and women that have served this nation um, boldly, um, that have loved their neighbors so much um, that they are willing to go over and sacrifice um, their own families and the lifestyle they had to go over and to fight wars um, they might not have understood, maybe wars they didn't even agree, um, but Lord, they served because they loved their country or they loved their families so much. And Lord, I thank you for men and women just like that. Lord, I pray for the gold star wives and family members out there, the mothers and fathers that are still grieving and hurting. Lord, we just commit them to you. May they understand, surrender, and, uh, and trust to give that to your son, Jesus, to hand that over and put it at the foot of the cross. And Lord, to be made anew. Lord, 
I pray for those that are still serving overseas. We're still at war. Mm -hmm. Lord, I pray your hand of protection would be on them. Lord, that you would keep them safe and bring them safely home to their loved ones. Um, Lord, I thank you for the privilege to be able to serve this country and to know so many of these great heroes that we uh, we remember on this day. And Lord, I count myself very fortunate to be part of that. And Lord, again, I can't thank you enough for the nation we live in that we're allowed to worship freely and boldly and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we uh, pray you do not take your hand uh, off this nation, Lord. And right now, also lift this, uh, leadership up. Lord, we're, we're in a struggle and a fight right now with this virus. And Lord, um, on top of families, maybe they've lost so much already and the fear that maybe this comes along with this uh, pandemic, Lord, we just commit them to you. Lord, again, we commit the leadership of this country to you. Uh, Lord, that they seek you for uh, godly wisdom. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope you were challenged by Lisa's story and I hope it makes you be more intentional this Memorial Day. I know I've said it a lot, but it's so important to teach the next generation to learn their stories, speak their names and honor their legacy. In the show notes, you will find the link for Wear Blue, Run to Remember. My family pledges miles every year and I hope you'll join us too. It's a great way to honor the fallen and be a living memorial. There are so many other sites and resources for you to get engaged this Memorial Day on the show notes. If you know a Gold Star family member or a soldier who has lost a battle buddy, please let us know so that we can pray for them by name. We also created a printable PDF for you to be an encouragement and to pass on to those if someone came to your mind during this episode. It's our goal to encourage and strengthen you all in hard times. I also included a wonderful devotion from my friend Kylie called Treasures in the Darkness. She talks about the way the Lord ministered to her heart and the loss of her husband, Jake. She offers hope from God's word and writes about how he taught her treasures in the darkness from Isaiah 45.3. She says, the stories he writes are both the ones we couldn't but wouldn't write. He knows best. I encourage you to read her devotion and print the scripture cards that we posted for you because nothing heals, restores, and brings joy to our deepest pain and brokenness like the good news of Jesus Christ. I wanna leave you with a quote. Only two divining forces have ever offered to die for you. Jesus Christ and the American soldier. One died for your soul, the other died for your freedom. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for our souls by coming to the earth to die so that we can be forgiven and reconciled with God. Romans 3:23 through 25 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. As we remember the sacrifices made by our brave U.S. servicemen and women to protect our great nation this Memorial Day, they paint the perfect picture of the greatest sacrifice of the cross. As a result of that sacrifice, we have hope and eternal life. Thanks again for joining us. God bless America, my home sweet home.